1: I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape, to do whatever you want to do, and give an excuse for doing it. If a plant has become unwieldy, has made you unhappy, if it has become a weed, even though you planted it years ago and thought it'd be real pretty, if you'll ask me, I will give you permission to yank it up by the roots and get it out of there. If you have a plant that you just love to death and you want it to last forever and you want to know how to make that plant live the longest possible life, you can ask me and I'll tell you how to do it. If you're a beginning gardener and you think, man, uh, what is all this stuff about? This potting soil and container soil and fertilizer and nutrients and nitrogen and weed control and pre-emergent and all those things about gardening. If you're a beginning gardener or if you're just new to Georgia, haven't ever gardened here before, give me a call. I'll give you the numbers. 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. Easy to dial early in the morning. There's not that many callers that come through. We'll probably have four in the next five minutes. But we will get to you as quickly as possible. 404-872-0750. Lawn and Garden. Walter Reeves. Georgia Gardner. Here we are. As you know, on every Wednesday, I drive down to Fayette County to see my mother, and my route is always the same. I go down Interstate 85, and I get off at 138, and then go down Peters Road, and Peters Road intersects with Highway 92, and I take Highway 92 into Fayetteville, on from there. But one of the things that I have admired for at least two years is the guy who gardens at the intersection of Peters Road and Highway 92, right across the intersection there, when I come out on Peters Road, there's a big garden. Always has something good-looking over there. Several rows of corn, some okra, beans, peas. Every, like every month of the year, there's something green growing in that garden. And I have thought to myself, if I weren't going to my mother's, if I didn't have to be down there in a little bit and go by Chick-fil-A and get her her chocolate milkshake to bring her for lunch... I would stop, and I would I would say hello. I would say something to the gardener. I've oftentimes seen him working out in the garden. So this past Wednesday, I finally got my wish granted. I had a few minutes. I didn't have to be down and see my mother for the next 15 minutes. And I thought, I'm going to go in, and I'm going to say hey to him. And indeed, I did. And they were, as all gardeners are just about, they were the nicest, sweetest people in the whole wide world. And we stood and talked and... The wife had a big lap full of peanuts. It is peanut harvesting time in South Georgia, Middle Georgia here. And she was uh, taking the peanuts off the vine and putting them in a container there and throwing the vines over to the side. And I was thinking to myself how much the cows, if they had a cow, that cow would love those peanut vines, just like watermelons. There's hardly a cow in the world who does not love peanuts or watermelons. Or corn shucks brings a big smile to a cow's face so we visited there talked about their pecan trees and how to fertilize them and things like that and I went on my way my point is this if you see somebody who has an interesting looking landscape or a fun garden or an interesting flower don't hesitate to stop don't hesitate to if you see them to ask them say hey neighbor Tell me a little bit more about this little corner planting here. Tell me a little bit more about this flower you have here. Tell me how you got all these tomatoes to grow so well. Tell me about it. And you will be surprised, and I think gratified, and I think very, very pleased, and they will be too. Honestly, anybody wants to share their knowledge. Gardeners, good heavens, gardeners always want to share their knowledge. And so if you stop and tell people that you appreciate their landscape, you appreciate their flower, you want to know more about it, you're just a good neighbor and you think they're a good neighbor too, I think that's a great thing to do. Stop, talk, visit, share, and be a better neighbor as the gardeners are. Most gardeners are the best neighbors in the whole wide world willing to share just about anything out of the garden, knowledge that they have, and I think that is a fabulous thing about gardeners speaking of peanuts i was thinking about this do you know how peanuts grow some of you don't know how peanuts grow i know you don't because i've talked to enough people over the years who just are flabbergasted about how peanuts actually get made i'll real briefly describe it here in the spring when the ground is warm you plant little peanuts now not the Unshelled peanuts, but the the pink things, the red things, the thing that have a little uh, papery husk on them. You take those peanuts, not ones from the ballpark. No, they're roasted. You can't use those. But you get raw peanuts, and you plant them about twelve inches apart from each other. Seems about right to me. Twelve to fourteen inches apart from each other. You plant them in a row, and over the summer the seeds, of course, germinate, and the plant, the bush, the we call it vine, but it's not really much of a vine. But it's sort of a real bushy, thick. Thing that grows out of the ground. And it grows to be anywhere from a foot to oh, maybe a foot and a half. If you have a really really good long summer it may even be two feet high and two feet wide. But about the middle of September if you grub around with your fingers underneath the bush you'll find peanuts. I mean fully formed in the shell peanuts there and you think mm, I got to get these before the, before the squirrels or the mice or anything else comes digging in my garden. And you take a spading fork, not a shovel, but a spading fork. So you lift the whole plant out of the ground. Hopefully this is a pretty sandy soil, something that's easy to lift the plant out of the ground. And so you lift it up out of the ground. Down in South Georgia in olden times, they would drive a post in the ground, and they would just throw the peanuts up against this post and dry them to keep them high off the soil, and they would dry the peanuts until it was time to, to take the peanut nuts off of the vine. Now, what happens? How does the peanut get attached to the vine? It's not coming off of the roots. You would expect maybe, mm, if you've grown potatoes or something like that, that the the fruit or the edible part of the plant comes off of the roots of the plant, but no, they don't. What happens is in about May or June you have little yellow flowers on the bush part of the plant, and the little yellow flower makes a little peg, a little string, thread, thing that comes out of the flower, above ground, goes down an inch or two, penetrates the soil, goes under the soil, forms a peanut there, and that's where your peanuts come from. From the flower pegging, it's called to the ground. And then that's why you have a lot of peanuts underneath the flower, where all those underneath the plant where all those flowers have pegged. Into the ground, and then you pick them up, you dry them out, you take them off the vine, you parch them. Parching, by the way, is roasting. That's the southern word for roasting. And you have peanuts, and you eat them while you listen to the University of Georgia Bulldogs on WSB. That's all you do. All right, got that straight? You know how peanuts are formed now. All right, great. Let's go to our friend down in Griffin, Georgia, Nicole. Hey, Nicole. Good morning, Mr. Eve. Miss Nicole, how are you? How are fine, you? How are fine. you? Fine.
2: Off 92, did you ever see this man that do uh, flower, um, uh, pot? not pot, but big thing out of uh, lumber?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I was saying big pot, I mean planters out of lumber. Why?
2: Did you ever see him?
1: Where? Where are you talking it's about? It's off
2: 92, not too far from the uh, the farm. The...
1: oh, no. Yeah. No, the great big thing out of lumber on Highway 92, north of... No, I go on Highway 92 every weekend. I've not seen some guy making big planters out of lumber. No, I have not.
2: But anyway, he makes some uh, big, big thing like um, uh, anyway. About two, they're really cheap too. He made them by hand, uh-huh. and they last forever because of pressure treated sure, sure. and uh, just just a good idea. And he's got a banana tree. <laughs> <laughs> you should see this thing. But anyway, I'm su- I'm surprised you don't see him. No. But he's got probably eight or ten in front of his yard. Uh, I'll see if I
1: I'll see if I can see what you're talking about. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, the first year I was here, I didn't know how cotton grow. Okay,
1: <laughs> cotton is different. It's it's interesting. It doesn't grow in trees. It grows on a bush. Yeah.
2: And I went in the field and I look at it and I say, my my, just look at it. My finger were hurt. Because I knew they used to pick them by yeah. hand. Yeah,
1: and those cotton bowls, the skin around the cotton fluffy stuff. The fluffy is soft, but the skin, the bowl around it is very hard and tough on your fingers.
2: And sticky, too, yeah. like a spine. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. oh, yeah. I was just so surprised. But peanut, I knew they grew like uh, potato. You know those small potatoes sure. underneath the ground?
1: You've been growing potatoes up in Canada for years exactly. and years and years, yeah. so you know yeah. how potatoes grow. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, I have a friend that's got a problem with a four-legged
1: huh. pest. What kind of four-legged pest?
2: It's an armadillo, Missouri.
1: Ooh, armadillos, bad, bad animals.
2: What can we do? They must fly like crazy, too, yeah, and he said all this landscape, they're going for grub, isn't it?
1: Yeah, grubs, underground things. That's why they tear up the soil so, so roughly because they're just grubbing around, plowing around to get the grubs out of the ground, and... The only thing I know of that works reliably, Nicole, is an electric fence. You make an electric fence and stick it above the ground, a little short post about 10 inches above ground. And armadillos, going to get shocked, of course, they're going to run away. It's not always ugly, and it's not, you know, it is something you can paint green if you want to. Paint your post green and the wire green and not see it very readily, and if an armadillo hits that, then they'll go. But that is there's no smell repellent or texture repellent or you know cayenne pepper or vinegar or anything like that. It'll make them go away.
2: Well, this idea of saying that you put uh, triosin on in the ground, and yeah. I said, all oh, this chemical, just trap and release or do something.
1: Yeah, you know? and, and trapping and releasing. I have plans on my website for how to make an armadillo trap that works, and putting triazicide, the insecticides, on the ground may kill some grubs, yes, but it doesn't kill the earthworms. And that's another thing that armadillas eat, so you're not killing their food source completely. And so the armadillas come back, they don't eat grubs, they eat earthworms, and there they are, making a mess.
2: So do they eat fruit, too?
1: Uh, not much. Not to my knowledge. No, they're grubs. They're insect. How oh, can they
2: attract them in in the release cage?
1: Yeah, that's hard to attract. That's why you need to go to my website and look and see it. Make a fence, sort of a V-like fence, and the fence comes together where the trap is. It sort of guides them into it, but there's rarely been research to show that they're attracted by anything other than their own sort of ability to be guided into a trap. Well,
2: I only have one, and I've... I don't pet him, but I look at it, and I tell him, I said, go around the fence, not on the knees, because the fence ends right there, you know, but they don't see you, they don't, don't bother you, I mean. No, they crazy. don't
1: bother you, they startle you sometimes, certainly they startle you, but uh, if you can talk to the armadillos and tell them to keep away from your garden, to call them more power to you.
2: Well, yes, the cat do the same thing too.
1: Yeah. Nicole, happy birthday I know it's your birthday or you was your birthday yesterday so happy birthday to you
2: uh, Thank you, thank you
1: And I will see you next Saturday
2: Enjoy your day
1: We'll see you soon It's 618 We'll be back after this
3: Rocking and a
1: into to the rhythm of the country sounds. And time for a quick yeah, weather update. to you by Ackerman Security. No matter what your plans are for the day, for a great day. Not. It's going to be fun today. Partly cloudy skies all day long. Afternoon highs in the upper 80s. No precipitation, sadly. Tonight, partly cloudy or hang around till around, oh, I'll tell you, all night, all night long. Low 70s is the temperature prediction for tonight. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Jeff is in Waleska, and Jeff joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, man. Hey, Jeff. Morning. Morning. Hey, Jeff. What's up? Uh, pleasure to speak with you again. You've helped me in the
0: past, so maybe you can shed a little light on a situation I got. Um, I recently bought a house. And uh, right, I'm just right down the road. I'm not in Lake Arrowhead, but I'm just I can walk to the entrance of Lake Arrowhead. But uh, bought a house on five acres of land. When I first looked at the land, uh, it's covered up in musky dime vines. Great. I've probably got five acres of musky down vines, pretty much. But all this land is like ninety nine point nine nine percent hardwood. Are they
1: up days. in the trees, Jeff, or the, or the musslin climbing trees and everywhere?
0: I've got, I've got some I've got some mature 15, 20 decent mature vines that are up in the trees. A lot of them are on the ground, but all
1: right, got, let's let's go real quick. I've got 30 seconds here. So what's the question, Jeff?
0: My question is that I haven't seen not one piece of fruit. Is it the drought and is there anything that I can next season I can do to help these things along?
1: It may seem severe, but the best thing you can do is rip them out. I say that because many of these wild muscadine vines are very reticent about putting fruit on the vine. They just are wild and crazy. They make little bitty fruit about the size of the end of your finger. Possums like them. Raccoons like them. Deer like them, of course. But as far as harvesting anything, it's really going to be worth your time to try and manage them and measure them. You know, sadly, Jeff. No, I would rip all those out. And if you want muscadines, plant a named variety, plant Triumph or Coward or Black Nesbit or one of the other great muscadines, and plant that, and have a great muscadine garden out there. But I don't think you're going to get it from the ones covering the ground because they're just not going to produce. It's 6:28 News Talk WSB. We'll be back right after news. We take a it's the
0: Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your Lawn and Garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK.
1: And now, here's Walter. It's 635 and 69 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves. Welcome, friends. I'm glad you're here. If you have a question about your gardening, 404-872-0750. In the next few minutes, we'll talk to James. He wants to talk about his poinsettia. And James has a contest going on, and we got to help him to win the contest. Mike down in McDonough wants to know about fertilizing and watering his Bermuda lawn. We'll reiterate what the watering rules are right now. Right now, Wayne is out in Loganville with a question. Another question about grapes. Hey, Wayne. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Hey, man. What's up?
3: Uh, I was wanting to see if you had any advice um, about keeping wasps and yellow jackets off my fruit, you know, once it gets close to being ready to pick me.
1: Yeah. <sighs> Not really. And I have two minds about it. I'll be truthful, Wayne. I have two minds about it. I have once in my life been stung by a wasp while I was picking muscadines. And the well, reason there. I got stung was because I reached to grab a muscadine or two, and the wasp was behind. I didn't see him. And so He's I reached to grab him. He popped me on my finger there. That is the only time I think I've been stung by a wasp. And I know this summer when I was harvesting figs, there were wasps everywhere around the fig bush. And I just sort of tapped it with a stick, and all the wasps flew away for a minute. And I picked figs, and we coexisted there. All right. And so they don't... I've- they don't do a lot of damage. In fact, they don't do any damage to the, to the right fruit. They don't eat the fruit, in other words, but they do make a nuisance of themselves because they eat the sap. If something's been wounded by another insect, then they eat the sap that oozes out of the fruit. And like you say, it's sometimes nervous making to be around them, but there's nothing that, to my knowledge, will kill them and still be safe for you to eat the fruit. So I think you just grab a stick and hit the vines a little bit and drive them off.
3: All right, sir. Well, I do appreciate it. All
1: right. Thanks for calling, Wayne. I know I know the problem, but that's just the way life is. Sometimes the wasps, and the hornets, and yellow jackets, and you have to coexist on the grapevine. All right. Thank you, sir. Sure, Wayne. We'll see you. We got, uh, let's see, James. James is out in Conyers. Hey, James. Good morning.
3: Hey, Walter. What's I uh, I work in a small office with a staff, and there's a young lady there, and she's very pleasant, except. A year ago, one of our patients gave us two poinsettias. Okay. We we kept the plants after Christmas, and then it became a competition <laughs> of seeing whose poinsettias would look the nicest. Now they're both doing good, Walter. They uh-huh. both they both have new blooms. They uh, they both are doing well, and they're both green as green can be. Got it. So this is where I need your help. Ah, ah, there we go. I want you to help me. Have mine look beautiful in red yeah. while hers looks green,
1: yeah. and then
3: I can stand and look at hers and say, "Ha
1: ha ha!" Oh, there is <laughs> a commandment somewhere, James. I think you're going to be you're going to be <laughs> disobeying. So I want you to study your scripture before you do all this. the Old Testament, there. Um, we're going to help make your poinsettia the prettiest it can be. If she doesn't listen to me, then we won't won't let her knowing what the tips are. James, the way you make a poinsettia change color is it has to bloom, and those red leaves are not the bloom. The bloom is that little yellow thing in the middle of where the red leaves are, where four leaves come together around the end of a branch. There's a little yellow round thing, and that's the bloom. So your chore is to initiate blooming, and it'll change color with the bracts, the leaves underneath it, just fine. So how do we initiate blooming? That's one of those weird things of nature that poinsettias uh, do. They're very sensitive to night length, to, date, to the, how much darkness they get during a day. If they get 16 hours of dark during a the day, they will initiate blooming. So, that is James' task, I guess. Starting around the 1st of October, so you got a couple of weeks to prepare for it. Around the 1st of October, go look for a Refrigerator box They work great <laughs> Go find a cardboard box that's The same size as your poinsettia And uh, that'll give it Complete darkness And you set your timer And clock for How long it'll take To put the box on Before dinner every night And take it off When you go to work Or whatever it takes To give it the right 16 hours of dark and uh, 8 hours of real bright Nice light inside And that will initiate blooming In about 4 or 5 weeks I guess and during this time, you continue to give it bright light during the lit lit hours of the day. You give it some little fertilizer so it has some stimulation to make new leaves, new bracts around it. And around the Thanksgiving is when it'll start. So October, then you've got eight weeks. Yeah, around Thanksgiving, that's where you'll see the new leaves start turning red, and the little yellow flowers in the middle. And then over time, over the next couple of weeks after Thanksgiving, it'll turn redder and redder and redder. And that's when you, James, get to give her the berries about your poinsettia versus her poinsettia.
3: Is it is it around the Thanksgiving time that I would stop that cycle?
1: Yeah, yeah. By the time they start reddening, you can stop the dark light dark light stuff but the darkness needs to be complete so get a refrigerator box you can't just turn the lights off in the in the room where they're where it's growing it's got to be absolute dead complete darkness around them and i have
3: a computer room that is nice and cold or cool anyway and we can turn the lights off in there so Mm -hmm. i've got the perfect place
1: and it got light during the day it's some good strong light during the day
3: i'll still i'll bring it out into the work area during the day got it
1: I think we well, got a scheme, James. I think actually, you look puzzled here.
3: I'll tell you what I'll do, Walter. I will uh, when it when it when it gets to be the holiday season. I will take a, a photo of both the plants yeah. my smiling
1: face <laughs> and, and her still smiling face, and I'll send it to you. I would love I would love to see it. Thank you, Walter. Sorry. Now, is this every single day,
0: in and out, in and out of in the and box? In and out, in
1: and out, in and out. James, is, James has to be very precise about this. You cannot go a day and give it light. You cannot have light overnight when he forgets to put the box on there. In his computer room, it'll be fine. If it's nice and dark in there, it'll be fine. But you can't give it a lot of light. No, got to give it darkness. Think you can Thank do it, you, James? Sir. I'm sure you can. I want to see the picture. We'll see you soon. All right, thank you. All right, James. Thanks for calling. Mike's in McDonough, and Mike comes to us with a question about his Bermuda lawn. Hey, Michael, good morning.
0: Good morning, Walter.
1: How are you, buddy? I'm well, sir. How can I help?
0: I'd like to see um, if this hot weather is going to change the schedule for when we should put down the winter and the pre-emergent, winter fertilizer and mm. pre-emergent for a Bermuda lawn.
1: Mm, 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 mm. What a great question. I will tell you that day before yesterday, I have some beds by the street that I put put some pansies in there. No, uh, petunias, I mean. Petunias back in April, thinking, oh, it's so nice. It's raining. The soil is moist. My petunias are going to look really good in the summertime. And come July, when they had dried up into tissue paper, and I just dug them up and threw them away. And those beds have remained empty until just the other day. And I was out digging them up and looking and seeing how dry the soil is at my house and thinking, oh, man, I I don't want to fertilize because fertilization increases how much water a plant needs. And I don't want to fertilize any of my other things that have survived around it. So I Mm -hmm. think we wait, Mike. Here's what I think I would do. What I'm going to do, I'm going to wait until nighttime temperatures get down lower than they are now. Right now, it's 68 degrees outside. When night temperatures get down to around the mid to lower 60s and daytime temperatures are in the mid to lower 80s, that would be the time to plant pansies and to do the last fertilization on Bermuda. Or you can fertilize Bermuda right now. And water it in real good, and water it for just oh a week or so, about once or twice every uh, once every two days, and to water the fertilizer in. But putting fertilizer on dry soil with no rain is just wasting your time.
0: Okay, then how about the pre-emergent?
1: think about that a little bit, too. Typically, I say the pre-emergent should go down the middle of September, but that assumes, again, with any pre-emergent, you have to dissolve it. You have to put out the granules, and then you dissolve it with rain or irrigation. So, if you wanted to do the two together and can Mm -hmm. irrigate the lawn, that, I think, is probably makes more sense than anything else. If you want to do the Bermuda fertilization now... Water it and water the pre-emergent in. That would make more sense of all. If you can't water, then yeah. we might just leave the fertilization off <clears throat> and put the pre-emergent out just before Kirk says it's going to rain the next couple of days. Well, all righty then. All righty then. It is. It is very interesting to make that decision, Mike, and that is one of those things that I help. I think some people to interpret what the weather is doing and what's the right time to do what you know you're supposed to be doing, but the weather doesn't quite look like it's going to cooperate. So there you go.
0: Well, I appreciate that, and I uh, actually put down my put down winter preemergent okay. and fertilizer last saturday just before the rain so i think right. i timed it right if you I just timed it right you're fine. all
1: right you're a good man you did it you did it right But a lot of people looking at kirk saying well 30 percent chance of rain on sunday maybe a little bit more next week but unless you know you're going to get rain you have to irrigate fertilizer in and you have to irrigate pre-emergent in because they don't work without the water uh, all right thank you sir all right man we'll see you mike Have a good one. Thank you. 6.45 on a Saturday morning. Whose turn comes up next? It's Watson in Union City, Georgia. Hey, Watson, good morning. Hey, Bubba. Thanks for for taking my call. What's going on, Watson? Here uh,
3: here in Union City, we've been blessed with uh, uh, all kinds of butterflies, the small yellow ones, the larger uh, black and and, uh, yellow. Sure. And I saw uh, some all-black the other day. and uh, <clears throat> we are being graced with those, and I appreciate it, but what's going on?
1: They're migrating. Those yellow ones are called yellow sulfur butterflies, yellow sulfur, uh-huh. and the black ones are the black swallowtails, and you may see some of the lighter right, yellow right. and orange okay. swallowtails, too. Um, some butterflies migrate, some don't. These are the ones that do, and they're running through Atlanta and Union City and making mm-hmm. your life prettier, and that's what you do. You leave them alone. There's not much you could do for them specifically. You can't feed them if you don't have flowers already out, but uh, they do enjoy visiting butterfly bushes right, right now, and that's what you do. But it's sulfurs and swallowtails that are coming through Georgia. Uh huh. Thank you, Walter Watson. It is my pleasure. Tell them hey, yes, in Union City for Have me. a good weekend. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Bye bye. I heard a story this past week. I saw a video actually. That my blessed sister had done of my mother and father back in I don't know the mid nineties, I guess. And one of the uh, questions that Carol asked my mother was, how did your father meet your mother? And she said there in Union City, where my mother is from, they would congregate on the little strip of commercial buildings in Union City, boys and girls, as they were teenagers, come on. And this is back in the late 1800s, I guess. And boys would come up to girls and say, would you like to walk with me to Fairburn? Fairburn's about a mile, mile and a half maybe from Union City. And if a girl thought the boy looked presentable, they would say, Well yes, 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 I'll walk with you to Fairburn. And so that is what happened. That's how my grandfather met my grandmother. He walked up to her and said, Would you walk with me to Fairburn and maybe get some milkshake or ice cream or something like that? And she consented to do that and I'm here with you this morning as a result. At six forty eight, we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News a News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB.
3: We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM
1: 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves for the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today is a great day to get out in the garden, pull some weeds, Spray some weed killer out there, maybe prepare some beds for planting if you need to. It's going to be partly cloudy throughout the day, highs in the just the low 80s, well, mid-80s, let's call it. Overnight, still partly cloudy, and highs in the low 70s. The last most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on your Home of the Dogs, News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Let's real quickly go to Mike and Thomason, that I want to talk to you about Twitter for a minute. Mike, hey, good morning.
3: Hey, good morning, Walter.
1: We've been talking muscadines. You have another muscadine question.
3: Yes, sir. Uh, My wife wanted to know when is the best time to fertilize them because our uh, skelterdines wasn't that big
1: this year. Yeah. Spring. Uh, Two times. We fertilize them one time in the spring when the leaves are just beginning to emerge when they're about the size of your thumb. And then another time, let's see, that'll be sometime in April. And then we do it another about six weeks later. So that's going to be May, early week in June, something like that. The reason you do it that way is because grapes make their fruit on new growth. You prune it. You probably know already how to do this, Mike. You prune them real good in the wintertime to stimulate lots of new growth that comes out in April, May, June, and then they make the fruit on that new growth. And if you don't have much new growth, you don't have much fruit. Easy enough. And so fertilizer helps to stimulate new growth, and that's why you do it twice.
0: Okay, do I need to drill
3: holes hose in the ground around, no, the, no, around
1: they, the plant? No, they have very wide, muscadines have very wide root systems that go out five, six feet from the main trunk of the vine So just scatter the stuff lightly on the ground before it rains, of course, and let the rain wash it in. Okay, now how about
3: transplanting? When, uh, uh, can you transplant one from one place
1: to another? Yeah, if they're little, if they're not terribly big, if one was, what, three, five feet tall, I don't think I'd have any, any problem at all in transplanting. I'd do it in the wintertime, obviously, to do the transplanting when the leaves are off of it. If you need some details about how much fertilizer to put on, Mike, go to my website. Go to walterreeves.com. Just type muscadine in there or scuppernong, either one, and it'll tell you how to fertilize, how to measure the size of the vine, how much to put out for each one. Okay, let's do a Twitter experiment. If you have a Twitter account, you can follow me at Walter Reeves on Twitter. But here's the deal. If you want to ask a question, a gardening question, you can ask a gardening question. Just put the hashtag AskWalter. So if you want to ask about fertilizing your muscadines, it's uh, Walter, how do I fertilize muscadines? Hashtag AskWalter. And uh, we'll find it. Ashley will find it. Ashley will read your question out to me in the next hour, and we'll see if our Twitter account is able to be uh, used to ask garden questions. So again, follow me on Twitter at Walter Reeves or find me at Walter Reeves and then hashtag Ask Walter. Let's see if it works. We'll keep our fingers crossed, Ashley. It's 6.58 at news Talk WSB and we'll be back after news.